Welcome to 10 Minutes With. It's a podcast for people who want to listen to podcasts, but don't have all day. I'm Therese Main, and I'm a fast talker, so get ready for a quick chat with someone you might be interested in learning more about in 10 minutes or so. Today, we've got Keith Getty. He's a husband, a dad, a legendary hymn writer, although he'd probably scoff at that word legendary. He's got some strong views on modern worship, and he's going to teach me to speak like an Irish woman. All in about 10 minutes. You ready, Keith? Ready to go. I don't know if you've seen on Wikipedia, but they call you and Kristen today's preeminent modern hymn writers, which sounds very impressive. So could you tell us the difference between a hymn and a regular old worship song? It's not a scientific definition. You know, the hymn tradition is more one about about teaching the faith about helping people learn their faiths. First of all, it's more theological. Second of all, the hymn tradition, a hymn book comes with hymn books, tends to be hymns that you will carry with you through life. So it's picked for a hymn book if you can use it for the duration of the hymn book. A worship song gets picked today in a modern church if if it's cool right now. So the goal is to write something that's a little bit more lasting, a little bit more timeless in nature. And thirdly, you know, the hymns tend to be uh, simple folk melodies that you can interpret whatever way you want. So if you've got an organ or if you've got an orchestra or you've got a guitar or you've got a piano or you've got a bunch of people singing unaccompanied, that they fit that. Uh, the worship songs, certainly, the early, although the early ones weren't like this, modern worship songs tend to be very driven towards a band and a band arrangement, radio pop arrangement. So it would be the main, probably be the main three things. And we're very much more in that tradition, the tradition of, you know, Martin Luther, Charles Wesley, Isaac Watts, all those kind of people. Have you kept track of how many songs you've written in your career? Ballpark. Oh, oh I've no idea. I've no idea. I, I tell you, the worst statistic of it all is that I probably record 100 for every one that gets recorded. So I really, you could say I'm not very good, actually, to be honest. You have a 1% chance of success is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't keep any of my sales guys if they were that bad. Do you have a favorite? Is there one of your songs that just will always have a place in your heart where you go, that, that is a good one. I'm glad we wrote that. Obviously, you know, and Christ Alone was, was the, the thing that opened the door for us to do this. And we're so grateful for that. But honestly, it's pretty much always the latest hymn. So the two that I've written with re- recently were Christ or Hope and Life and Death, which you may know, which released at the start of COVID. And another one that I haven't released yet, but it's called Christ, the True and Better Adam. But it's trying to really help people see Christ in terms of his role in scriptures. And it was actually really, honestly, a Matt Papa and Matt Boswell song, but they let me come in and help them, you know, just uh, uh, organize a chorus, which was just a privilege. Do you have a favorite version of In Christ Alone? Just a quick look online. Uh, there's a popular version by Passion, Mercy Me, Lauren Daigle, Newsboys, Shane and Shane. I mean, did you ever think that that song would get recorded by so many A-list artists? Well, my, my favorite version will always be uh, uh, Alison Krauss doing it with my wife. When Alison Krauss and Kristen did it, to me, that's the defi- that is the definitive version, you know. So do you want to know what my favorite Keithing Kristen Getty song is? I would love to know. You would never guess in a million years. It's By Faith. By Faith. Right. No one would ever say that, right? The Irish say by faith. By faith. See, it's, it's two syllables. Faith. Faith. Do fee. Faith. Faith. By faith. By feet. <laughs> okay. You didn't think you would have to be teaching some upstate New Yorker how to speak today, did you? 
all you, all you, all you upstate New Yorkers were Irish four generations ago. It's fine. <laughs> Let's talk some about the Sing Conference because you had planned this to be an in-person event, and then COVID nineteen came, and now it's going online. But maybe there's a great opportunity in that. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I have to be cautious with what I say because I have so many friends who are suffering so much at the minute, and my heart is with them, and yet. I am absolutely passionately convinced, number one, that, you know, the Lord has given us a, div- a divine moment in life to create Sing Global. Uh, and secondly, it is it is the single most exciting event of my life, even though I won't get to be in a room with other people. I won't get to hear anybody singing my songs. I won't get to conduct an orchestra. I won't get to stand in an arena with 15,000 people. I think the, the, the strategic importance of this event to get churches, individuals, families around the world singing the scripture, bringing together the best preachers in the world, the best musicians, the best worship leaders, to try and get people excited about going deeper into the scriptures at this critical point in history is utterly, utterly vital. The theme of this year's conference is the centrality of God's word in the singing of God's people. And that may not be the first thing that comes to people's minds when they think about worshiping through song. It's like you have the teaching of God's word, and then you have worship singing. But the two really have to be intertwined. Have we missed the boat in modern worship? Oh, I think completely, yes. I mean, I you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. The Reformation was through was all about the, the through the preaching and the singing of the word was the whole concept behind it. Um, people learn their faith in such significant part through what they sing that twenty percent of the Bible is songs anyway, and uh, um, because it because it allows us to sing sing scriptures to ourselves. It allows us to sing scriptures to our minds, to our hearts, to our memory banks, to our emotions. Um, and, and what we sing ultimately becomes so much part of how we think. It becomes part of our presuppositions. It becomes part of our prayer life. It becomes part of our language every day. That it is absolutely critical what we sing. And uh, I, I think the modern worship approach of, of creating this kind of emotional experience is actually the reason why many of my generation are no longer Christians. And that they've got sucked into this emotional experience, which is happy for them, but their context in life has changed and they've gone, so what was that? Was it just an emotional experience? And it's tragic. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And what is so, so heartbreaking to me is that so many pastors, so many parents have allowed this to happen. And so really part of our, our, our job is to try and really help build deep believers. I don't believe the next generation is going to have casual Christians who, for them, a little bit of church is a is kind of cool as a, a cool cool social exercise and helps them think better about their business and what people think about them. I really don't think so. I think Christianity, its radical truth, is it flies so far in the face of what's happening right now that I think we need to build. When I look at my four girls and Gracie, my little third daughter, turned five today. You know, we were sitting blackberry picking with her, and I sat and looked at the four of them and thought, how how do we raise children in this context and we need to raise deep believers, and I still believe that the gospel is as true yesterday as it is today. And uh, but but we need to build deep believers. We can't be messing around. You really have an incredible lineup of speakers, 
of teachers, of singers? Is there someone who you're secretly like, oh, I can't wait to hear this person speak because... Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's, oh honestly, all I can do is just run off the top of my head the things I've been thinking about today. Is that okay? That's so great. So I was thinking about, because Kristen's uncle, my wife's uncle, John, Professor John Lennox, is coming over, who I think is probably arguably the most brilliant Christian apologist in the world today, professor at Oxford. And, and, and he's opening on the wonder of Scripture, just its place in history, what it is, you know, it's dynamism. You know, my old pastor, Alistair Begg, is able to join us and doing a thing on the power of God's word. Um, we're doing, um, Johnny Erickson Tata is joining Kristen and they really helped with the whole children's singing thing. I'm excited about that. I'm excited. Honestly, these little things, I mean, we're doing, we're doing some, we're doing some breakout sessions, which are, which are just interviews we did two years ago. Kristen and I did extended interviews two years ago with Tim Keller on singing, singing the Psalms. And with and with J.I. Packer on, on singing on, on the Psalms, Scripture, and the Christian Church Life. And we've only ever released 20 minutes of each. So those whole videos are going to be on this year. So that's going to be really amazing. Um, but also, you know, my, my friend Trip Lee is talking about the Scriptures and culture. You know, so he's asking really, you know, tough questions in that. David Platt is bringing leaders from around the world. But, and I think, honestly, not I think about that, you know, for a prayer night. I mean, I think... You know, so much of it is things like that. It, it's, you know, half of the songs are being recorded live at the Grand Ole Opry and a brilliant night at the end of July. And then we're asking believers from all around the world to add their voices to it. So, of course, primarily it'll be Christian and our band. It's not going to sound like those Zoom church services where you've got this kind of thin lead, lead singer. It's actually going to be Christian plus literally the, the sing choir, which is 500 people, plus believers from probably over 100 countries that are all adding their voices and singing in this massive congregational sound. So, I mean, again, that's something that's never happened before. But that is what the beauty, that is the beauty of this situation is that it has brought the world of believers together and hopefully bringing them to the word of God and asking them to, to look at its truth and to let it fire and inspire their lives in every part of it. There are so many facets to God. I mean, you can't possibly even begin to comprehend them in a lifetime, much less write songs all about them. What are some things about God that you've discovered in your own life that you wish you could write a song about, but you're not quite sure how people would take it? Uh, we, we write about everything we care about. You know what I mean? So we don't, I mean, how people take it is up to people. You know, it's, it's always been, it's always been how we've approached it, you know? So I don't, I don't hang around waiting for for the jury to decide uh, what's right. And, you know, that's part of our, you know, part of our whole philosophy is, you know, we've got a team of pastors and people and creatives around us to try and do that. We've, we've, we've independently owned everything. So, so that the Christian music industry can't tell us what to do. And, uh, and so I think we've just we've always tried to go about that, and that means we talk about the wrath of God. That means we talk about hell, not because we're sadistic, but because it's true. And it, it would be it would be so incredibly disingenuous of me to, to claim that God is love and not tell you about sin and hell and wrath. It's just inauthentic, you know. So you can find out more about the Sing Conference when you go online to GettyMusicWorshipConference.com. Thanks, Keith.